in Judges, so I thought today that uh, we could go to the New Testament and John chapter 11, the account of Lazarus' death and Jesus raising him from the dead. And I thought it would be appropriate, uh, the uh, tragic death that the Sparks family has uh, had, and um, we will all be facing this subject from time to time, the subject of death. But as I got into this chapter, it became more and more a teaching on the love of Christ and and how Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary and, and all of his people, how Jesus loves all his people. And this is so true of, of so many things of the Lord. Something that begins in sadness often ends in praise. Many of the Psalms start out with a lament or sorrow or repentance or even a complaint, and the psalm ends up praising God. In fact, the whole book of Psalms, after all is said and done, the very last verse of Psalms and the last psalm, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, since you've had no advance notice of this, I'm going to read 44 verses today. So, if you, you know it's our custom to stand for the reading. If you're able to stand comfortably for five or six minutes, Would you stand now? If that's a little bit too much, well, you can remain seated. That's hard for you. We'll read these verses, and then we'll have prayer. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. 
Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Mary, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. We ask, Lord, that you'd be with us now as we talk about your word. Guide us, lead us, teach us, Lord. We thank you for the salvation which you've given us in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.
Well, what we read is the last of Jesus' great miracles that John recorded. It's the climax, and here we see uh, the point that this miracle shows forth Jesus' glory, both His power and His love. And perhaps the heart of this passage is verses 35 and 36. Jesus was weeping over Lazarus in the tomb. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus is weeping, and I like how the King James Version says, behold, look how he loved him. Behold, look, pay attention, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. But I believe in a way that the people here were wrong. This is not to say the Bible is wrong, but it's recording what the people said. And they said, see how he loved him. And that's in the past tense, how he loved him. And these are the people's word, but Jesus' love is never in the past tense. Jesus' love is always in the present. And it's an eternal love. He loves you and He's not going to let you go. His love is rich and powerful and He's always present. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 And thus we will always be with the Lord. So as we consider these verses, we see how Jesus' love has many dimensions. Jesus' love is, is always in the present, as we say, and Someone said his love is like looking at a diamond with all the facets. So we'll try to bring out some of those this morning. The first thing we see is the wisdom of Christ's love. When Lazarus was about to die, the sisters uh, sent a message to Jesus, and all they said was, He whom you love is sick. And we need to understand that the love of Jesus Christ may include trouble. His loving plan for your life may include the the experience of trouble and suffering. He whom you love is sick. You know, many people find this concept uh, uh, difficult. We can be a believer in Jesus Christ and still get bad news. And we shouldn't have the notion that believers never suffer. And we may think of... uh, If Jesus loved me, I wouldn't be sick. But here it is written down in verse 3 that Lazarus was sick. He was sick unto death, as a matter of fact. People whom Jesus loves may get sick. You know, Shannon's father-in-law, Gail, he was a believer, as is her mother. And yet this tragedy, this death has come into their lives. So what's the explanation Well, I believe that the uh, reason that Lazarus is sick here tells us in verse 4 that it's for the glory of God. Most of us are probably familiar with the story of the man born blind in a couple of chapters before that, chapter 9 of John. And remember how the disciples saw this man and they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? They were sure that his blindness had to be caused by sin. So they looked at the pain and misery in this blind man's life and they reasoned that it must have been 
because of sin, either his or his parents' sin. But Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And that's not to say that they were sinless, but that wasn't the cause of the blindness. I think Jesus is saying that we need to abandon this simplistic notion that good people have good lives with no problems at all, and it's the bad people that have all the bad things happen to them. And we could think, uh, oh, if we're Christ, then everything will be good for us always. But things aren't that simple. We belong to Jesus. Suffering may come into our life, but God has plans for us and what He's going to do in our lives and in the lives of the people around us through this trouble. Now, it's wrong for us to go up to a person who's suffering and say, well, it's okay, God has a plan for you, Jesus has a plan for you, or something like that. That's something that has to be done between the person who's suffering and God. We don't need to go in there and and tell them, well, it'll be all right, and, you know, we have all come up with some other reasons that we could think of. But in the same way, it's kind of naive on our part to think that bad things only happen to bad people. And it's wrong to say that God is unfair if we suffer or if we see a good person suffering. Why, why should this happen to him? The answer to this dilemma that the Bible gives is that every incident that happens to a Christian has got not one or two, but multiple purposes. And these purposes are interwoven with the other purposes that God has for us. And these come together. And it's all to show forth His love and His concern and His power in our lives, in and through us. And that's not a thoughtless answer or a pad answer, but Jesus is saying here in in verse 4, this sickness and this ultimate death is for the glory of God. Now, what if we didn't see or we don't see the uh, glory of God through our pain and our suffering? You know, we might think, how could my tragedy show forth the power and love of God? Well, one of the problems is this Bible that we have. You know, the Bible always explains to us what happened and why it happened. Whenever there's suffering, we see the explanation for it. We see Lazarus die but we know that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. But what about you and me? We don't have a book that explains all this stuff to us. So we live, what, by faith? You see, the temptation here is to pit our wisdom against God's. You know, when we're saying... I see no point in these things I'm experiencing. And and I've heard people say that, and I've been tempted to say it myself. You know, I see no point in all these things that are happening. And that's because only God sees the end from the beginning. The suffering of a Christian is never pointless. Someone might say, if it wasn't for suffering, I might never have seen that I won't last forever that I'm actually weak and finite and fragile and I'm a limited creature. You know, any one of us might die suddenly. 
and leave behind grieving loved ones. Without suffering and disappointments, many of us would never have seen our need for God. When you lose something that gave you strength, you you lose your health, you lose your job, the things like that, uh, you lose a loved one, the first thing you feel is that you've lost control of your life. And you might get mad about this helplessness. And you might be very angry, but eventually, by God's grace, your vision may clear and you may see that you didn't lose control of your life. You never really had it. When you lose something, you realize that you were never really in control. Our happiness shouldn't be based on outside factors that we have no control over. When things are good for us, uh, we think it's because of our wisdom and because of all the things that we've done, our great abilities, and then when you lose it, you realize it was never in your control at all. I think of uh, Pastor Darrell's teaching back in the book of Ruth about King Ahasuerus, and he was the ruler of this great empire that went all the way from India to Ethiopia, and he couldn't get his wife to do what he wanted her to do. That kind of shows you what, what sort of control that we really have about things. So our losses will either make us harder or they'll make us more tender. And you can either cling to the notion that you're in control of your life and that you deserve good things or you can become more tender, more humble, and more submissive. And through suffering, you can learn to lean on God more. You can begin to see God as the creator, as the Lord of the universe. We are creations. We are God's creation. We're not the creator. So the point is, when suffering comes into our lives, it won't leave us as we are. And I think this is true about everything in life. Life itself won't let us stay where we are. I've thought more than one time when I've bought a car, I've thought this is the last car that I'm ever going to buy. But of course, they wear out right away. You know, and you learn as you get older, you can't stay in the same place where you are. Small troubles are opportunities for small growth. And big problems are opportunities for big growth. So the question for all of us is when trouble comes, which way will we go? Something else we learned from this passage, if you're facing trouble right now, that it's not a sign that Christ has rejected you. He says, Lord, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. You know, it's been said that when you're in trouble, that's when God loves you the most. That's when he sends the most love to you. Lamentations 3.32, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the, uh, the, according to the multitude of his mercies. So when tragedy comes, such as we prayed about this morning in the Sparks family, you know, how do we handle it? So let's look at the way Martha and Mary handled this death of their brother. The first thing they did was they prayed, and then they waited. First they prayed. They sent a message to Jesus. He whom you love is sick. 
Prayer should be our first resort, not our last. By the way, did I mention we're going to have a a class on praying the Psalms? You know, you've probably heard uh, someone say this, well, we've tried everything else, we might as well pray now. Um, How would you feel if you were the last person that someone came to for help, you know? When prayer is your last resort, does that honor God? So the first thing we see Mary and Martha did, the first thing they did was to send a message to Jesus. And notice the foundation of their prayer. It's Jesus' love for Lazarus. And is that how you pray? Do you say, uh, rather than that, do you say, Lord, I've, I've done all these great things and I've given to the church and I belong to Berean Fellowship and do you pray on that basis? You know, I, I would have no confidence and no comfort in that kind of prayer. You know, Martha and Mary didn't say, Lazarus has served you wonderfully and, and now he's sick. He always obeyed you. They didn't say that. They just called him, he whom you love is sick. Can you pray like that? If you can, you can if you believe the gospel, if you build your life on the gospel. So what is the gospel? It's that Jesus came, He got God in the flesh, and He fulfilled all the requirements for your acceptance before the Father. Jesus fulfilled the requirements and He took the penalty that I deserve and that you deserve. If you look at Jesus only as an example, well, you're lost. He is our example, but that won't save us. He's our substitute. He's our Savior. He bore the Father's wrath in my place and in your place. So we rest and we trust in Him that way. The wonderful thing is that God, if we're in Christ, God gives us all that Jesus deserves. He gives us all that Jesus earned. And if that's your hope, then you can pray, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one on whom you've lavished your grace has a need. The one you've adopted in your family, Lord, you've adopted me and I have a need and you can can bring that before the Lord on that basis. So we can can pray on the basis of... uh, His faithfulness to us. And we don't want to pray ever on the basis of our faithfulness to Him. That will never give us any comfort. That will never give us any spiritual power. Martha and Mary prayed with the knowledge of Jesus' free grace and His love for them. They prayed and then they waited. You know, we hear the wait on the Lord, but That can be a cliche at times. Waiting isn't a passive thing. It's an active thing. Their attitude is shown when Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. Well, the next day, Lazarus is worse. And the next day, he died. And the Lord still hasn't come to them. And when Jesus does show up, what does Martha say? Verse 21 and 22 Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So if you look back 
verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That's kind of a shocking verse. Uh, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and yet he stayed two more days where he was. Well, the teaching is that Jesus delayed until the point where human, the human mind can no longer see how he could fulfill his promises. Martha and Mary heard the promise. They heard this sickness is not unto death. And it looked like Jesus wasn't going to do what he had promised to do. After Jesus delayed, the sister's attitude remained, Lord, I wish you had been here. They weren't angry. They weren't accusing. You may be in Martha and Mary's shoes right now that there are promises that you have seen and and you may think, well, there's no way that's going to happen. I remember back years ago when I was working and Things were really going bad, and, and I would think about uh, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. And I would think, well, why isn't this happening? You know, why isn't it happening right now? But I was looking for the Lord to fulfill His Word in my timing, you know, to do what I wanted. But He had something better planned. Jesus delayed to the point that the sisters couldn't see how he could ever fulfill his promises. So if you're in that position right now, may I suggest that you don't question with human wisdom the love of Jesus Christ. To wait on the Lord means to judge your circumstances by Jesus' love and not judge Jesus' love by your circumstances. And that's what I want to do. I want to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love. And I'm not going to judge Jesus' love by whatever's happening to me at any particular time. You've probably heard this saying from John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. He said, Everything that God sends is needful. Nothing can be needful that He withholds. That's a great thing to remember. It's a hard thing to live by, but it's certainly a a great saying to remember and to live by. And we need to discipline ourselves to see life that way. And that's waiting on the Lord and waiting on His timing. We shouldn't believe in Jesus in some general way and then be satisfied with that. And and not, we shouldn't pray just when things are bad and We should think of everything in terms of our relationship with Jesus. And could ask, is that where you are today, or or do you just have a general belief in God? So Martha and Mary had a good attitude, but they also had action, and they obeyed, and they did what He said. You know, so often obeying God doesn't seem at all practical, but they waited They waited on the basis of Jesus' love for them, and there was a resurrection. So what about us? Are are you waiting on the Lord? Are you practicing the wisdom of His love and 
accepting God's timing. Now Jesus comes walking up to the grave and we're told that he weeps. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And the people said, see how he loved him. And what we can see here is that Jesus has knit his heart together with the hearts of his people and that he has to feel it when we are suffering. Jesus is deeply responsive to our pain. You know, if you have children, you might not have noticed this till later on, but when you have children, something changes. There's now something attached to your heart. You know, you'll never be happy. You'll never be able to be happy as long as your child is wayward or if they're miserable or if they're sick. When they suffer, you suffer. You know, there's a tremendous amount of joy that comes with being a parent, but also you lose a certain amount of freedom. You lose the freedom of your own heart. Things can be going very well for you but if your son or your daughter's in trouble, or your son or your daughter's wayward, or all these things that happen, you're going to have this, this pulling on your heart. I'm sure there are parents who wonder, looking back on it, if they'd want to go through this whole thing again. And this verse tells us how Jesus loved Lazarus. He had Lazarus in his heart, as he does each one of us. We might wonder, why is Jesus weeping when he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why doesn't he just go to the tomb and say, Death, where is your sting? It's because he's feeling the grief. Even though he knows Lazarus will be raised, he doesn't hold back his tears. He's bound up much in his heart with this family. And I think we can say he's bound up with each one of us if we're in Christ. Jesus voluntarily bound his heart with the prospects of his people. And he's in deeper sympathy with us than we can imagine ourselves. You know, we're just specks of dust, but when we hurt, we create grief in the heart of the king of the universe. You know, there's no religion that believes that. It's only Christianity. It's only faith in Christ that knows that we have a personal God who cares for each one of us. Our God's not too busy with other things to care about us. God has bound His heart with us. Psalm 56, 8, You know my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Jesus knows all about your pain and your distresses. He knows about each one of us. And since He's that way, shouldn't we be that way with each other? Shouldn't we be compassionate and caring with each other? Shouldn't we have great sympathy with one another, seeing that we're the people of God? You know, it's so easy in this Internet age, this impersonal age of all these devices and Internet friends and Facebook and and all this, it's, it's so easy to forget how much we need friends. We all need friends. We need friends who will rebuke us when we're wrong. And we need friends who will stand by us when we're having uh, difficulties. And 
when we need help, we need friends. And we can look at our Savior, and we can look at the way Jesus wept. You know, we only weep over things that are valuable to us. When you see someone crying over a loss, it must have been something valuable. Exodus 19.5, God says to Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God's people are a special treasure to him. You know, one of the problems among people, is, um, especially as we get older, is we think um, we often think we don't have any value. We can feel insignificant, and what we say doesn't matter to anyone. But what's the solution? Should we just love ourselves and and think that we are very valuable? Uh, I don't think that would help very much. Um, what we need is a and we'd all like to have is someone on the outside who can accredit us. And that's what we see here when we see Jesus weeping over one of his own. Jesus weeps over his people. He loves his people. And you might remember how he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. In spite of how he was treated there, he wept over Jerusalem. Now when Jesus went up to the tomb in verse 33... The last part says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, why would he be troubled? He knows Lazarus will live again. So what is it that troubles him? Well, he was deep, deeply troubled because he knew what raising Lazarus was going to cost him. As we go further into John 11... The religious leaders couldn't take any more because of all the good things that Jesus was doing. They planned to kill him. If you look at verse 53. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So by verse 53, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now how are they going to hold on? How are these Pharisees going to hold on to the power that they wanted? So as Jesus goes up to the tomb, he knows the cost. He knows that raising Lazarus is going to be burying himself. But he says, I'll do it. See how he loved him. Behold how he loved him. And look at this. Look at the love that Jesus has. Now in the book of John, every one of Jesus' miracles is called a sign a sign tells you that you're looking at something. It tells you what you're looking at. And each one of Jesus' miracles is saying, look at who I am. Look at my glory. You know, we attempt to show our glory by being better than other people, by uh, maybe beating them at some athletic competition, or maybe we can memorize more Scripture than they can, or something like that. Uh, we want to do something better so that we elevate ourselves and, and put the other person down. But when Jesus shows his glory, you see people coming alive. People are saved. If we let Jesus be himself in our lives, let him have his weight and his glory in our life, then we're not going to 
miss out on a thing. You know, so many people are, are afraid if they become a Christian and fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to miss out on all these things. I'm missing out on hangovers and all sorts of things. Like I am so glad to miss those things. You don't miss anything following Jesus. You, you gain your life. You gain your, your true humanity. So when we let Jesus be himself in our lives, that's when we come to life. That's when the broken pieces of our life come together. If you can see Jesus weeping over you, if you can see Jesus going to the cross for you, that should truly move you. Behold how he loves you. And with that thought, let's stand and we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. One thing I would ask before we pray that um, we're finishing a little bit early. I didn't have a whole lot of time to get ready for this. We're finishing a little early, so if you've got kids in the Sunday school class, well, uh, you know, be courteous to them. See if the class is over before you go opening the door or something. Now let's pray. Father, I pray that we could truly give ourselves to your love and and behold your love and to see how you love us and how we should be different, Lord, in light of this great love of yours. We pray that you'd be with your people, Lord, draw near and save and comfort and bless. We thank you for the grace of God that brings salvation. And Lord, we lift up our pastor to you Pray that you'd bless him, Lord, that he would be a tower of strength, Lord, in his family as we know that he is. And, Lord, they've suffered this great loss. Lord, be with them. Encourage them, Lord. Comfort them. We thank you for Pastor Darrell, Lord. We we thank you for his faithfulness to your word, his teaching he brings us every week. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word and, and we can come together as a family of God, Lord. This is such a great privilege, and we're so prone to, to, take, uh, to take it for granted. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.